I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Know Before, visit knowbefore.com. Welcome, Roger. Great to be speaking with you. I'm always glad to be back with you and everybody else who tunes in each week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Roger, for our first story, you recently wrote an article about cloud attacks on LinkedIn. And I think it's a great way to kick off this week's episode because I really loved how you laid out your article. So I'm hoping you can take us through in a similar fashion, starting first with some background and then moving into what the cloud-based threat landscape looks like. Sure. You know, so I've been in clouds, I think for two going on three decades, they weren't called clouds. I think they were just called like software as a service or something like that, but they've been around forever. And I remember early on, they were so disliked that I'd tell people, hey, pretty soon you're going to be working on the cloud or whatever it was called back in the day, you know, on computers that are not on your network. And everybody's like, you're an idiot. You're crazy. That will never happen. They will pry that computer out of my cold, dead hands. I mean, there really was this visceral reaction. And I would respond to them and say, listen, Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft are all spending tens of billions of dollars on it. It's going to happen. Like you can hate it all you like. And maybe your company under your control will be the last person to move, but it's going to go that way. And eventually it did, you know, but it it took a long time, but it's kind of hard to think that a lot of people think cloud computing is kind of new, but it really started being a thing over two decades ago. And ever since then, You know, computer security people like myself have been looking at cloud-based threats. And really, it's a really big attack surface because clouds have every possible threat that could happen in a traditional on-premise environment. You know, so everything that we're typically seeing, you know, social engineering, password attacks, misconfiguration, you know, all those things. Plus any virtual machine issues because cloud became very quickly in order to scale up at the cloud levels, you had to have a lot of virtual machines and those certainly have what's called guest to guest and guest the host and host the guest attacks. You're going to have internet attacks because cloud meant you're going over the internet versus having some private network. Uh, plus today you can add to that container and microservices, those kind of showed up in the last decade, maybe last five years, but a lot of the cloud services run in what's called containers, which are these kind of subdivided things where you'll have the operating system potentially running in one part of a container or a container, and you have the applications or parts of the application running in other containers. And then you have microservices, which are like subsets of applications, All of those things, virtual machines and containers and microservices all promise that, you know, oh, it takes away your security problems. (laughs) It didn't. It just complicated it. How do you patch a container in a microservice today? And then, again, you have to throw on the cloud-specific threats. So you have every traditional attack, you know, attack an on-premises environment. You had to consider internet attacks because all the clouds work over the internet. You had to consider virtual machine attacks. Again, host to guest, guest to host, and guest to guest attacks, as we call them. Containers, microservices, and then cloud-specific threats, the ones that would only work on the cloud. And typically, those cloud threats, when we looked at them, were things we call tenancy issues. When you're on a cloud service, typically you're not alone. You're just one of the many customers that are sharing the same resources. So you're a tenant. 
like you'd be a tenant in an apartment building or condo or something like that. And so you're a tenant and you're sharing resources with other tenants. And that would be, you know, virtual machine infrastructure, network infrastructure, storage space. And back in the day, you know, a lot of us, including me, we would write about these cloud specific threats because those are the new thing. And so you would find people saying, oh, we found this attack where I could join as a tenant and then see somebody else's hard drive or they'd give me this hard drive storage space and it wasn't cleared out. Like the files would be deleted, but I could still see them if I did some type of raw analysis on the disk or they could jump from one virtual machine to another virtual machine. So there are all these cloud threats that me and other people wrote about because they were interesting and they were new. But I was reflecting upon, or have been reflecting probably for five years now, that despite all of our worry about cloud-specific threats, the vast majority of real-world attacks that have caused tenants harm in the cloud have been because of traditional problems, mostly social engineering, where somebody gets socially engineered out of their credentials, and the attacker gets on the cloud in that way, unpatched software, and misconfigurations, like really common is a overly permissive permission. Somebody has like an AWS, Amazon AWS storage bucket, as they call it, and they accidentally leave the permissions to full control or view everyone can read or something like that. And so you have attackers literally that are doing millions of scans a day, just searching for these unsecured buckets, data buckets. And so that's what's kind of interesting is that we were all worried about all these cloud-specific threats. And I have to say that I think the majority of the major cloud vendors, you know, closed those holes, saw those capabilities, saw those threats, and went, okay, we have to get rid of these multi-tenant problems, multi-tenancy problems. And for the most part, they did. If you, you know, join a cloud today, you're typically not going to be able to break out of your environment and see somebody else's data not that that isn't the case all the time. There are some things, but the vast majority of problems are just these traditional things. What it has turned out to be is that for some reason, people, when they go to a cloud service, just don't take the same level of security. Like if your job is making sure that you're securing access control and making sure people have the appropriate permissions, well, it's just easier to do in an on-premises environment where you can do all your own auditing and you can run all your own tools. But when you go into the cloud, it seems like people all of a sudden drop the ball. And it seems it appears to be harder for people to do the exact same security lesson, but in the cloud. And, and sometimes it can be muddled. Like sometimes when you're in the cloud, all the patching and configuration, everything is really the vendor's problem, right? And then let me say in general, another surprising thing, because it used to be what's more secure, on-premises or cloud? I think the juries finally weighed in on that one. And in general, most cloud vendors are far more secure than the customers that use those clouds, meaning they do better access control. They do better, you know, antivirus scanning, you know, anti-malware scanning, better network monitoring, far better backups, you know, so that you can recover your data if it's been ransomware and that sort of stuff. So I think the jury is weighed in and said, hey, the cloud vendor themselves, in general, there are exceptions every year, a couple times a year, do a better job of securing their environments and their tenants' environments than the tenant themselves would do if it was on-premises only. So that's been a really important lesson to learn and a really great thing to know that you're probably going to be pretty well protected if you're using a cloud product in general. 
But I think what I was kind of writing the paper about is to tell people, hey, wake up <laughs> and make sure that you're doing the basics on your cloud products. And again, it may be muddled. Your vendor may handle some of it, like maybe they're doing the backups and the patching, but it's up to you to do the access control and secure permissions. You know, and again, in like a typical online environment, if you're a good cybersecurity practitioner, you're going to do periodic audits of all of the access controls and security permissions in your environment. As a matter of fact, you know, like at know before, all managers a few times a year get emails saying, here's all the places your employees have access to, here's their permissions, and you know you need to approve that they still need this access to these resources with these sorts of permissions. And that's what every good cybersecurity defender should do because you don't want to give overly permissive permissions. Well, if you're in a cloud space, are you doing the same type of thing? Can you even do it? Can you even do that sort of audit? If you can do a access control permissions audit, it probably is harder and more difficult, you know, unless the vendor makes a report or a feature set for you to look at everything quickly and easily, it probably is impossible to very difficult to do. But just because it's difficult to do, or maybe impossible or near impossible, doesn't mean that it's not still incumbent upon you as somebody that configures access control to do that periodic auditing. And that's what I, I guess when I wrote that article, I was talking about, hey, what have we learned from two decades of cloud computing is that the vast majority of attacks are the same attacks that have always hurt you in the traditional on-premises environments. It's social engineering, it's unpatched software, it's password issues, it's misconfiguration issues that can get lost. Like I belong to the Cloud Security Alliance. I'm on the Quantum Safe Security Working Group, but I love the Cloud Security Alliance. It's probably the number one organization about helping people learn about clouds and how to secure clouds. And they have a, you know, like a top threats report that they publish every year. This year, I think it's called Top Threats to Cloud Computing, the Egregious 11, if you can get a, wrap your uh, ears around that word, if I'm saying it right, Egregious. But if you were to read that article, or that white paper, you might be forgiven for missing the truth, which is that the vast majority of the attacks are the same attacks you would get in an on-premises environment. And you know that's something to keep in mind. Like even like part of the problems that you may read in the Cloud Security Institute's excellent white paper is about virtual machine problems. And hey, you gotta be careful about virtual machine problems. And virtual machine problems are a problem. There are attackers that are attacking unpatched vulnerabilities in VMware, VMware being the top cloud, you know, vendor uh, along with Microsoft and some others, but you know, CISA, the cybersecurity infrastructure security agency in their known exploited vulnerabilities catalog, which lists all the vulnerabilities that attackers are actually attacking in the real world. It lists several VMware vulnerabilities that attackers are exploiting in the real world that they're exploiting today. But really, they're unpatched software issues because all of those exploits have been closed <laughs> by VMware through patches sometimes long ago. So even though they may be attacking virtual machine environment or the VPN environment or whatever it might be, it really comes down to what's been the second most popular cause of successful attacks forever, unpatched software. And the, the vast majority of attacks on cloud infrastructures are social engineering and phishing attacks. And so that's what my whole paper came down to. I know it's shiny. 
I know it's sexy and exciting, but really the attacks are all the same, have always been the same. And you can say that even across the different platforms. Like, you know, when mobile came along, I thought we we're going to do a better job at computer security. Nope. We're going through all the same problems, all the same lessons. Internet of Things, IoT, absolutely, it's worse secured than the regular computer infrastructure. And Metaverse, full of social engineering, cryptocurrency, full of social engineering and buggy software, although they call it buggy contracts. And then in the future, you know, AI, virtual reality, quantum environments, wearable computers, how are they most likely to be attacked successfully in the future? Well, based upon history, I can tell you, social engineering, unpatched software. <laughs> You know, and, and that's what my article was about is, hey, don't get distracted by this new platform and this sexiness, as we call it, of the new platform. Do the basics, because if you don't do the basics, you're probably not doing computer security right. Any interesting reception to your article? Sometimes I know you get interesting comments, what have you, but. You know, I thought for sure I'd get a whole lot of people going, you're an idiot. You know, I get a lot of those. It just comes with the territory. <laughs> that's the Internet. But I got a lot of people going, yeah, you're right. Thanks for putting it out there. Yeah, you're oh, right. Cool. And, you know, I had a few people that added something like I had one guy that said, oh, most of the breaks are coming through IoT devices today and stuff. And I went, no, there are breaks <laughs> coming through IoT to get to your cloud infrastructure. It's not the top threats. You know, like there's insider threats. There are true insider threats. That's a real risk. It does occur. It's not your top threat in your cloud environment. Yeah. You know, or at least traditionally where there's some evil guy trying to do something evil to your environment or something like that. It's one of those things where I think I was stating the obvious that when you read it, maybe you weren't thinking about it that way. But now you're like, ah, yeah, of course. That makes sense. Great. Well, next for us is Reddit. So Reddit had a recent breach and they posted about it on their homepage for all to read and comment on. And Roger, I want you to take us through what happened that led to that breach. But something I want to quickly comment on was the response that Reddit got from their users. So they outlined for users what happened in that post on their homepage and they included, you know, the specifics they at least were willing to share of what happened, how they responded, how users were protected and said they would answer any questions. And as I read on in the comments in the thread, from what I saw, administrators were actually trying to respond to users' questions. And as I continued reading the thread, I saw that generally users were applauding the way that Reddit was handling informing them of this breach and applauding the employee who was fished and took early action by coming forward. So Roger, my question for you, in addition to sharing more about how the Reddit employee was fished is, are we witnessing perhaps a best in class incident response here? You know, I don't know. I would say it's not a bad response. They are to be applauded. I'm not seeing completely as much transparency as I would like. Like when they talk about, okay, we had an employee that was spearfished, but they don't give any details. You know, it would be nice if they go, okay, what was the messaging? It appears that the attacker was able to get around the employee's multi-factor authentication and then was able to duplicate an access token on a access control gateway, which is actually a very well-known attack method. But me and you, we follow these multi-factor authentication attacks. I'm like, okay, what were they using? And the reason why it's important is that years ago, Reddit was, uh, this is actually not the first compromise, at least it's the second compromise of their environment where the attacker got around multi-factor authentication. A few years ago, one of the first multi-factor authentication bypasses I ever wrote about and reposted on was Reddit being compromised. 
you know, I think Reddit probably was, again, a little bit more forthcoming back then than a lot of other vendors that have been successfully attacked. And I think the Reddit admins were using this SMS-based MFA and they said, hey, we're not going to use it anymore. It can be compromised. And they said, hey, it did get access, I think, at that time to some customer data and that sort of stuff. So this time around, they said, hey, it really didn't get to customer data. It does seem like they proactively responded and released the information are they best in class? I would say that they're certainly near the top, you know, being transparent and kudos to them and the employee for reporting the suspected phishing attack. But again, you don't really know how much time did the employee report it immediately? Did he report it in an hour the next day? You don't really know. So details, but not perfect details. But you know, these days, that's probably the best you can hope for. Most other vendors are trying to give you little to nothing. You know, I kind of get this sense that it may have been like push-based authentication. I forget the way they worded it, but it seemed to me like it may have been one of these push-based notifications where the attacker said, hey, I'm from IT and we're patching something, so go ahead and approve this logon prompt or something like that, which happened to Cisco and some other major vendors before. Just as a side note, on push-based MFA, I'm no longer a proponent of push-based MFA. When I wrote my hacking multi-factor authentication book for Wiley a couple of years ago, I said, this push-based authentication is pretty cool. I like it. It's one of the better ones. Well, that was before me and the world realized that for some reason, about a third of employees will approve a push-based prompt that they were not initiating. So they'll get this prompt on their phone or their app going, hey, are you trying to log in? Yes or no? And it turns out that you know if they get a lot of them, which they call push-based prompt bombing, that people are just trying no, or they'll say yes just to make the prompting go away because they're getting like 100 prompts. Or they get called and someone says, hey, we're with IT and we're patching your system. And you know what employee knows the names of every you know IT employee <laughs> or knows their voice you know, in today's world? And one of the things Reddit said is that the weakest link is the humans. But as Javad Malik, my coworker, said in his blog on this, he's like, really, they're saying humans are the weakest link. Well, we think they can be the strongest protection for you. And we certainly at No Before believe that. If it was push-based prompting, the way that you defeat all of those attacks is aggressively teach your employees about the different types of attacks against the type of MFA that you're using. So if you're using push-based MFA, as an example, tell your employees, hey, the common types of attacks are these push-based bombing attacks. Here's what it looks like. Here's how you recognize it. Or it could be someone faking being an IT employee or something like that. Listen to me. We will never ask you to approve a logon prompt that you did not initiate yourself. Like literally aggressively teaching about the common types of attacks against their type of MFA and how to detect them and how to stop them. And then also how to report them as this employee did is the best thing any company can do for any type of MFA. And again, I applaud Reddit. And like you said, you know, I I think they're in the top echelon of reporting on it. I wish we had a few more details, but I applaud them for what they did release. And I think it's, you know, again, another example, I certainly publish these all the time, of how MFA did not protect an organization doesn't mean you shouldn't use it. But I do say that you should use phishing resistant multi-factor authentication. If you go to LinkedIn, I have lots of documents on phishing resistant MFA. Unfortunately, 90, 95% of multi-factor authentication is phishable, which means really, to be honest with you, I don't think you should be using it. The whole reason we're moving to multi-factor authentication is because passwords are too easy to steal and fish 
But if the MFA solution type you're using is easy to fish or bypass, well, what have you gained for all the work and expense and resources? I want people to use phishing resistant multi-factor authentication. There are lots of it out there like FIDO. Any FIDO tokens are phishing resistant. But also as closing that no matter what you have MFA wise, if you're an organization who makes their employees use multi-factor authentication, you need to aggressively educate your employees, again, on the types of attacks that are common against the type of MFA that they're using, how to recognize those attacks, how to detect those attacks, and how to stop them and report them to you. And if more organizations did that, there'd be less successful hacking. So that's what I'll end on is education. Make your employees not the weakness, but the strength of your organization's firewall. A great send-off for this week's episode, Roger. So thank you so much for joining me, and I enjoyed our conversation and look forward to next week. Me too, and thanks, everyone. Continue fighting the good fight. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering.